welcome to another episode of Profit Motive. I am your irreverent host, Arash Amini at Amini Corp. Everywhere online, everywhere complaints and comments can be callously cast online. In this episode, we're definitely going to talk about the Wuhan virus. We're going to talk about our garbage culture and what's in store for us all. And perhaps we'll touch on miracles. All right, so what a crazy, crazy slice of history. We got the Wuhan virus ravaging China. These poor people, man, it seems like it's sticking to the Chinese more. It seems like it's a vicious virus. It's going to get worse. I'm sorry. Uh, We're all going to get exposed to it, but it seems like Asian men have more receptors that this thing is going to hit. So hopefully I'm not Asian genetically, but uh, terrible, terrible. Now, is this karma for stealing the world's IP and you accidentally stole a bioweapon that was engineered to attack the Asian population and then you stole it and brought it to a Chinese lab in Wuhan and reverse engineered it and because nobody really is passionate about living in China it seems that somebody was careless and released it and now we have reported 1.5 million cases, 2,000 dead, crematory is moving at full clip non-stop, giant fog trucks spraying the air throughout Wuhan, welding, police welding the certain citizens in their apartment complexes, and people going kicking and screaming into makeshift hospitals that look like prisons. Yikes. Yikes. Now, the question really should be asked, is the Wuhan virus racist? I mean, it's picking on the Chinese pretty hard, and hopefully, like I said, I hope I don't have, you know, when I go and have to sign any sort of, you know, when I apply for a job, or I have to submit any, you know, Department of Education form, a test, any of that stuff, you gotta self submit your racial information. And so what do I do? I go and I look for Middle Eastern. I always wish, oh, this might be the year where they identify an entire region of the world. But no, it's like three types of Caucasian, two types of Hispanic, like black and Asian or other, like an indigenous American, like Native American or something. And I'm like, I never know what to say, because if you talk to Persians, they consider themselves Aryan, that they are white. They sure act like it. They act like they're the white people of the Mideast, and it's so annoying. They are so arrogant. It's crazy. But I think, genealogically, we're technically Asia. It's East Asia, West Asia, the Middle East right? It's like West Asia. So, you know, and then I'm always wondering, like, 
what's going to get me the job here? Because if I say Asian, it's like, oh, great, another smart Asian kid. Or, more likely, hey, this kid's pretty dumb for an Asian. Why do he test so low? And then if I say white, it's like, oh, great, another white applicant, right? It, like, doesn't help me. So, I probably, looking back on it, signing Mideast would be the worst. Like, check his, uh, check his criminal history, take his fingerprints. Let's just double check that before we, you know? So, you are, uh, either way, you can't, you can't, you can't make it in. And I went through a spout about of trying to get a job. So my whole business blew up last year. I had one client that had gave me almost 100% of my revenue and they went through a bunch of mergers and acquisitions The marketing team got gutted. I got warning and like a dummy, I said, I'm gonna start a software company. I, but you don't know how to code. It doesn't matter. I'm gonna do it. And I don't know what I was thinking. So I ended up finding a no-code tool, made some software, and ran out of time and money. So in the meantime, when that ship was sinking, I started applying for jobs. I also found the solution, which I'll get to in a second, but Man, job hunting, let me tell you about job hunting. It's a nightmare. First off, it's a very different world. What I realized is you have to get past the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper is HR. HR is a bunch of really catty people that I think love their job a little too much like I always wonder why are HR people so into their job and it's because they have an enormous amount of power they get to decide whose family eats and whose doesn't and I think they like that a little too much. Needless to say, when I talk to HR people, it doesn't go well, ever. I, I do not know how to get past them. And it turns out, you know, they're looking for an employee who will shut up and do the work. And here I am saying, hey, this is how I would do things. I would, I'm a, and I think of myself as a partner in the business. What's the revenue goal? How does the legal structure affect things? What's the you know supply chain look like? What's the prize long? All these like deep questions, and they don't like that. Specifically, I tried. I got an interview with a B two B software based in Florida, and I talked to the HR recruiter. And I said, listen, I'm looking for my Gary Vaynerchuk moment. Gary Vaynerchuk story. And she's like, oh, really? She knew who Gary Vaynerchuk is, this famous marketer. He's on every social media platform. And he uh, is famous for taking his family family's wine business from a million dollars a year to $30 million a year. 
Can I just say, by the way, it is so much easier to take something from a million to 30 than from zero to a million. I mean, exponentially easier. It's an order of magnitude easier. Because he had, I found out in one of his, you know, tweets or stories or whatever, $1,400 a month in marketing budget. If you gave me 1400 bucks a month and said you have to spend this on ads and marketing, I could move mountains. The problem is that money, I mean, a million dollars a year, and he had only $1,400 a month. Was that $30,000, $15,000 a year or something like that? Because every other expense has to get paid to have money to burn and invest on marketing. So even if you're making 80000 a month, 85000 a month, whatever it is, and that's a million a year roughly, you're only getting extra, the fat, the total cream that doesn't need to go anywhere that can be spent on this quote-unquote marketing, turns out to be only fifth, you know, less than $1,500 a month. So think about that. It takes $80,000 a year to get $1,500 extra to run your ads on. So, and then that money is so easily grown with digital ads if you have a product that you know sells and therefore you know people that are buying it, you know the kind of person that are buying it, you just find more of them. It's not rocket science. The challenge is in building up your revenues with no marketing budget to $80,000 a month so that you can have a little bit to put into marketing. That's where most people don't make it. That's where I'm at now. That's where everyone is. Everyone you see on the cover of Entrepreneur Magazine, the dirty secret is they have capital. None of their advice matters to the people like myself sitting in a Starbucks in the middle of the day drinking their fourth cup of coffee because it's the cheapest drug you can still get and reading about rich people in Entrepreneur Magazine who are so excited by life they're on the cover of this, they started this many businesses, they got, and you're just reading this thing and you're like, how do these people, like, okay, got it, got it. Once you get a business, this is what you do. How do I get a business, right? Like, how do I get on the board? Capital. Capital, 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 capital. All these people had capital. Even if they bootstrapped, they had capital. Their own capital. Their friends and family's capital. If you start something from revenue alone, what are you doing for the year it's not making enough money to pay you? you Got to have income somewhere else. Capital. So the dirty secret is none of that stuff applies to the person that doesn't have a business. Nothing they say applies to anybody, most of us, who don't have a business making good money. Once you have a business making good money, and to be fair, a million dollars a year isn't a big business at all, by any stretch of the imagination, you have, it is so much easier to grow. That's why investors want traction. Getting traction without capital is very hard, almost impossible. Getting venture capital, if you don't live in an elite city, go to an elite school, or work in an elite company, is practically zero. So let's be real. Let's start businesses that don't need capital. And I think the, the best kind are service businesses. People just pay you to do something. 
At any rate, here I am talking to this recruiter, saying I want to make twenty grand a month. That's my goal, but I said it. That's that isn't that's not a reason to not work with somebody. But my ideal payment or salary is two fifty to forty. Have I ever been paid that much? No. Do I think I deserve that much? I think I deserve more. But the thing is, in marketing, my marketing, I can make way more than that for the company. And a marketing director, that's the high end of a marketing director's salary. Am I insane for wanting that and saying that out loud? Of course. Do I need a coach to help me get a job? Yes. And so I said, yeah, I want a company that I can be with for five years, three to five years, and say I took it from zero to 30 million, in, for instance. And then this is where the, the disconnect occurred. She said, oh, well, there's no way we can get the 30 million revenue in five years. And I said, well, what is the goal? And she said to me, and I'm not joking, she said, in five to seven years, the founders want to sell this company. And my brain imploded on itself. When I said, surely they want to sell it for more than $30 million. And all of a sudden, it dawned on her, yeah, I guess so. All right, lady. So here I am. You want to grow. You want to sell for as much as possible in five to seven years. You need someone to help you grow it as fast as possible. Get the steepest curve, highest growth rate. So when you sell it, the multiple is as high as possible. It reflects the growth rate. Business 101, I'm not an MBA here, but I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Needless to say, I didn't get the job. The, the, the sad part is if I go talk to the CEO, they love me because I talk business with them and I'm like, listen, you want to do this, this, and this, right? Great. Okay. Well, here's where you're at, right? Okay. So you got to do this to get to where you want to go. Awesome. I know how to do that. Great. And they say, shut up and take my money. So it's been crazy. If you don't have resources, man, oof, God, how do people... I have minimal resources. So Vigilant is finally, I think, about to take off here. I went from, you know, selling custom high-end consulting to turnkey software, if you will, software as a service, to a standardized form of consulting. and constantly looking and repackaging and repositioning this set of services, these, these growth services for B2B companies. Tried selling hardware that came with services. Tried selling the services six ways to Sunday. Video marketing, account-based marketing, content marketing, end-to-end -end marketing. Recently, I got connected with, well, I've been, I've known these guys for a while, a consulting 
firm in Charlotte that focuses on restaurant and technology, intersection of restaurant and technology. And um, they want me to join their company as a partner. I'll do their marketing and then they get me business for my marketing. So it's like a win-win. Big deal for me. And so they're helping me not only hone my message, but getting more ad bats. So I got like three intros from these guys. First guy said, hey, okay, what does it take to, to, to do 10? Nobody knows what they need for marketing, by the way. All these guys are coming to me, they're all guys right now, with uh, sales, a smaller growing sales team, and now they need to do marketing to grow their pipeline. They have no marketing infrastructure. So I'm like, great, let me come in and own this thing. And I need to do this, you know, no matter what, A, B, C, D, E, and F need to occur. There's just no way around it. These are the boxes you gotta check. What I call them, how I describe them, and what I charge for them, how much of each you do, changes everything. So this one guy, at, you know, I'm like, how much in ads do you want to spend? Like, he asked for a proposal. He gave me all his numbers, and he asked for a proposal. And I'm like, I need to know, this is where I was stuck before. Nobody would tell me how much they want to spend, because nobody wants to spend a dollar more than they have to. And they think that if they say a number, then they're pinned to that. But I need to know what their budget is so I can make a plan, so I can propose something. The error I made, and I got feedback about this, was that I'm going too high, and I would say, here's your full plan. And they would get sticker shot, and they'd be like, whoa. You know, even though this guy said, what about running 10, 10 grand in ads a month? And I'm like, okay, for me, that's a lot of ads, because I use money so efficiently, ad spend. So that means there's a lot of content being made if you're spending 10 grand. So I make a plan, 25, 18, and 12K a month. And this is like rip-roaring marketing, SEO, SCM, everything, P uh, PR, I mean everything. Managing up to 10 grand a month in ads. And then I make a table, charts, this is how much 10 grand. Anyway, that guy ghosted me because he's like, see ya, this is too much. He might have been pricing me out for someone else to do his marketing. And I was, you know, this is something to remember people nobody owes you an explanation everyone's plate is full and in any relationship if the counterparty is not capable of understanding what's going on in the relationship you do not owe it to them to explain what's going on in very rare cases a partner really or aka a family member right where you care for them enough or you have enough invested interest meaning partner like your spouse or your even sometimes people break up and no one explains because it costs so much social capital to explain to someone else how they're wrong you really have to care about them and so you can't expect people to correct you and guide you if especially if they don't care about you really you have to figure it out on your own go to the people that do care about you ask them right and it should be obvious with a little bit of introspection it should be obvious so I lost this huge opportunity with this guy. And that's the scary part about 
launching something new. You gotta test with clients the positioning, and you, you, you once you swing for it and you miss, it's kind of done. They don't want to talk to you anymore. You've lost. The, you you've spent your social capital now. You're no longer a thought leader. They surely don't want to pay you. So, that was painful. But then, these consultants asked me to do their marketing, and they said, "Listen, this is the few things we have in place that we need to use. I've already paid for it. We got a leverage. Great." And then I put a plan together. And with their constraints in mind, and I looked at the plan, I'm like, you know, the, you always, I always have to make sure the marketing plan hits the four buckets, ads, content, offer, email, and attribution. So I made this plan with these weird constraints, and it dawned on me. This is something I could do for everybody, and everybody wants this kind of stuff. So then I went to the next guy I had a meeting with who wanted me to do his marketing. I put a deck together. I came at it from an outside perspective. And like finally, I think it's working. Although we'll find out this week. I don't actually know. But the thing I've I have a good feeling about it because I'm only offering one service, one package. There's nothing else we do except this one thing. And it's end to end. I'm not doing part of it because it won't work. It won't work well. Maybe I will do part of it to show you some of it does work. But let's be real, it's not going to work really. You need to buy a car here, not a transmission and a clutch. But if you have that in place, you know, it's tricky because anytime you have a bunch of other stuff, it's like it gets more complicated and more expensive because now you got to make sure it's working with your stuff, your people are committed to their stuff. So I'm not going to say definitively there, but let's just say it's one package. It's one set of parts. Maybe we can replace and remove certain pieces of that. But these five things need to happen. If you don't want to do these five things, we're not going to work with you because we're not going to succeed, right? And if we don't succeed, we're gonna word's gonna get out, and we can't afford that. And then the the price plummeted because of the very unique combination of workflows. Now, so it's only five grand a month for a complete B2B marketing department. And I literally mean that. Capable of providing the growth that a hundred grand a month, million dollar a year department would do, or a fifty thousand dollar a month agency would provide, or a, you know, like no joke. The growth, not all the deliverables that make you feel good that you're paying for extra. And so in, so I wrote a proposal up, and now I'm getting, I got help from the, my consulting partners on how to rewrite the proposal for people that aren't experts in marketing and how to show the value of what I'm doing. 
I would talk too much about the technical, and I always did this, because I'm a tinkerer, I'm an engineer, I'm a mad scientist, I'll start talking about water dynamics and lighting, you know, in, in the indoor farming space, I'll talk endlessly about the nuances of the lights and plastic and whatever, and I wouldn't talk about the benefits of this stuff. So, um, so we're gonna see, I think, this is something, I know this is certainly something I can do over and over and over again, and everybody needs. I just need to get going. So at least I'm gonna be able to do it for the consulting company, help them grow tremendously. And then I think I got one client ready to go by March 1st, and then another client that I was doing hourly before that wants to step it up. And I think this is the package I have to modify for him though. So two and a half clients, of course I'm doing the discount for my consulting partners, two and a half clients would be enough to get going here. I could pay myself something, I could pay my partner something, we can get all the work done, we can grow, we can make a name for ourselves as the B2B growth agency. And the, I'm gonna get to indoor farming in a minute, we're halfway done here. Um, the, the, the big click I had after all this kind of fell into place mentally, and good luck doing this without a supportive family. It's taking three mentors, a business partner, and three grandparents helping me and my wife right now effectively. It's like seven people. It's literally taking a village. And I told my parents, they came into town uh, last week. Well, if, uh, let me finish that story real quick. They came into town, we discussed it. I'm like, guys, this is a multi-generational challenge. You guys brought us to America. That was insane and hard. You worked your butts off to build a life where you, I don't have to do that, but if I did, there'd be nothing wrong with it, but it wouldn't be moving the ball forward for the family. We have to get to the next level so that the grandkids will be in a much better place. So you guys brought us here. We are building the foundation. You guys dug the hole. We're pouring the foundation. The kids will build on top of all this. So between my generation and my parents working together, we can build something real here. And I hope it's a family business. I really want it to be. I want to hire all my family. It's marketing. It's not brain surgery. Anybody can do it. They just gotta be willing to do it my way. That's all. I have a very specific way. It's a factory process. You can't change the process because you feel like it without serious and thoughtful consideration. So it's, it's, gener it's legitimately taking a village. Now, the interesting thing about Vigilant is that It's not a marketing agency anymore. It's a growth agency. Marketing's over, man. Everybody's a marketer. No one's happy with their marketing. So what are we doing? And the fundamental issue is that we're all doing it wrong. We've all been taught the wrong way to market, especially in B2B, especially on the internet. And so 
I kind of want to make it's not irrelevant is that marketing should be done automatically on the back end media is what matters think media not marketing create media that actually helps your adds value to your customer base and then you market it after it's made and it's just a matter of where does where where should we show it where do where are where are our customers right okay the rest is details it really is marketing is details media is what matters most we have a really effective way of producing b2b high value b2b media putting it right where it needs to go um helping you know b2b companies grow so anyway vigilant is in a new place i'm cautiously optimistic we'll see i'm getting real feedback but i think in march it's just start taking off so we have a good quarter two so we have a quarter two because right now it's like a bunch of little hourly work i'm scraping by here now indoor farming okay so this is where my heart really is at i've got a wireless mic on so i'm gonna i'm gonna get some coffee here um so i have no legal entity for sand farm and called you feel called at times to do things I feel called to help my family provide help provide for my families families my family's families I feel called to help through vigilant help B2B companies grow there's so many innovative technologies that need to get into the market and it's not easy and we need that we really do as a society they make our current problems irrelevant you know and i couldn't get away from sand farming or indoor farming i failed miserably three different times I mean, it was brutal. It was so brutal. You wouldn't believe how low your self-esteem can go when all you do is fail every day, every month. And I forgot how rough R&Ding is because you're just getting null positives until you find the local maxima, right? The local, the results you're creeping towards. And I connected with this nice man christian man in charlotte steven who's now going to be an advisor and he's trying to launch a opportunity zone incubator excuse me and um um i'm his guinea pig 
So he got me a space, he bought a system. I had one in my house, but I needed a new one. And so I designed my Mark II version, version two, built it in a space near in his office building that he got for free for this, you know, test case. And I got sucked back in. And then Wuhan virus broke out. And I started, I immediately, I saw the growth curve of this thing and I'm like, this is different, man. This is not a flu. This is serious business. We're all gonna get exposed to it eventually. And how do we prevent an outbreak? How do we prepare ourselves for it? Quarantines are not working in China. And let's be honest, if, there's, if this is attacking the lungs of Asian men more than anyone else, there's a lot of Asian people in the world and they will be carrying it. And now they're saying it's an aerosol. Uh, it can be aerosolized, meaning that it can, it's like the worst possible combination because it could linger in the air for hours or days. Instead of like, if it's only transmitted through fluid, then if you cough, that's bad, but then the cough immediately falls to the ground. The water droplets fall to the ground because they're so heavy. And it doesn't, you know, float around. Wuhan virus floats. And so you breathe that in, you can get it. So now they're, they're spraying the air in these cities with these giant trucks. You can see it on Twitter, it's crazy. And so it led me down this path of how do we prepare ourselves? How do I prepare my family? And I'm like, well, the DOD has a farm, uh, or licenses a farm, or part, has partnered with a company called BioCaliber. BioCaliber? Pharmaceutical. Bio, Caliber Biopharmaceuticals in Texas. And um, these guys have this gorgeous indoor farm, like way at the beginning, of before vertical farming was hot. These guys had a dope indoor farm. And Hort America sold their LEDs to them. And I, I met that guy once. He told us about it. And I looked it up and I was like, holy cow. Um, and it's, it's licensed or sanctioned. I don't know the right term is, but it's capable of spinning up biopharmaceutical compounds really quickly. And so it's, uh, a, you know, during the Ebola virus, I believe, they were used to grow the tobacco, modified tobacco plant that had the, that they produced the vaccine out of really quickly. And I'm like, started doing my research and I'm thinking, you know, right before this happened, I was Googling, let me stop giving you the story from my perspective. Here's the problem. Our mineral contents in our soil in America has been dropping steadily since it's been recorded, since it's been measured. And I mean, and you can't get too much data on the aggregate. I mean, it's out there, but it's like spotty. So it's just like a general trend. But then if you look at specific plants, like wheat, you see that the yields go up over time, but the mineral density of the crop goes down, almost proportionate to how high it goes. And so, it, and it makes sense because we don't, 
we don't put, we don't invest into our soil quality as a country. And we deplete it every year. And as that content was going down, new technologies were invented to not increase the mineral contents, but increase the yield so that more money could be made. You're not paid historically, you didn't make more money for the more nutritious food you provided. You made money per poundage of food, right? And so we came up with GMOs and glyophosphate, glyophosphate and Roundup and all this different stuff, uh, uh, ammonia-based fertilizers uh, to pump up the volume, the weight. But what we were doing was depleting the soil every year by not putting, you know, if, I, I guess if the soil doesn't have the mineral, the plants won't ever have the mineral. They can't produce minerals. It's absorbed through the plant's roots, but in, from the soil. And so, what was I saying? As the, we weren't reinvesting in our soil and um, less minerals in the soil, bigger plants every year, less even, it like accelerated the decrease in mineral density. Because now you have, you know, the same, let's say you have a little bit less mineral in the crop this year than last year, but now your crops are a little bit bigger too. So in that plant, you have more mass for a fixed amount of minerals, and it's you know less per bite, if you will, certainly less per pound. Um, so that shocked me. And then I looked into it. Mineral deficiency is a huge part of our immune system. And it leads to all sorts of things, but predominantly our immune system. Come on in. Hey, honey. Um, and so I realized, oh, crikey, we gotta boost our immune systems. And perhaps the best way to boost that immune system is to grow better crops. Because the plants are gonna produce the minerals in a way that is highly bioavailable, as in we can absorb it, and in the right arrangements, in the right proportion. You can't just take one vitamin, it's been found. That vitamin needs other vitamins and minerals to be best, to be most beneficial for the body. Like if a cell doesn't have enough, like, what is it? Vitamin A, vitamin B, and vitamin C. I can't remember the one, the vitamins. But if it doesn't have enough compounds at the time of formation in the right proportion, it will not be able to make uh, adequate cellular, what are they called? Mem not membranes. Um, microcellular structures. Think about it. It's like you're building a house. And it's like those video games. To build a, you know, a hut, you need 40 barrels of straw. To build a castle, you need 40 barrels of straw, you know, 50 bushels of lumber, whatever, and then like a bunch, of, you know, 100 units of bricks in proportion. If you don't have one of those, you can't build the castle. If you don't have enough wood, you can't build the castle. If you don't have enough metal or whatever, brick, you can't build the castle. And our cells are the same way. It's like a home. If you don't have enough copper, you can't build the house. You need everything in the right, in the minimum required proportions. One house requires this many pounds of copper, 
this many pounds of brick, this many shingles, pounds of shingles, this many pounds of lumber. If one of those is a missing, you're not gonna build the house. It's the same way with our cells, and our cells form daily. New cells form daily. So, long story short, I found what I think is a solution in that in growing, I looked up the most mineral dense common herb. Herbs have a lot of, um, uh, the, the thing that provides them a lot of aromatic, you know, that strong odor and the flavor is their essential oils. And essential oils have been shown to have lots of beneficial benefits, <laughs> a lot of good benefits. And I figured if I, may, if I grow herbs, we'll get the essential oils and which one of them will have the most minerals. Turns out common basil has the, is the most mineral rich. So here I am sitting next to my home biopharmaceutical production system growing a bunch of basil to dose up my family because I want them to get as many minerals as they can in the right proportion in the right format or delivery vehicle to actually be absorbed by the body um, because our immune systems suck right now this this country's immune system sucks we're not getting nutrients we're getting a lot of cheap energy the, too much energy you know all these carbs and sugars Hey, they're fine if you are spending a lot of energy all day. But the problem is, even when you do spend all that energy, your body needs to repair itself. And what does it need to repair itself? Vitamins and minerals. And you can't get that in our food right now. It's crazy. Our crops, are, some crops, are five times less nutritious than they were in the 60s for certain compounds. So like to get enough zinc or whatever from spinach, you'd have to eat five times as much today. So you go and you buy this organic stuff that's more expensive and you think you're getting more, it's still not that good because the soil isn't rich enough. And we don't know, that's the problem. There's not enough studies being done on current, you know, like a going to Whole Foods. I would love to see a micronutrient analysis of every food in there. I would love to see that. All I know is I can prove, I can measure and prove how much micronutrients are in ours. And with my fertilizer technology, I can uh, increase that bioavailability as well, I believe. And that's, that's because of tests done through proxy, which was flavor and aroma in basil and arugula. I grew some crazy spicy arugula with my fertilizer and um, anyway so now I'm getting back into it I met with these guys that supposedly but the goal is still to get these into every home in the in the US I mean that's every home possible right and uh, supposedly there's a retailer in Charlotte that wants to co-develop a home hydroponics kit with it with some entrepreneur 
and supposedly I'm getting introduced to them. Now, I met with these guys that wanted to start their own commercial farm and they were trying to do all sorts of stuff. They were trying to grow high-end edible flowers for high-end restaurants and deliver them on a new system. And I was like, guys, that's like three very challenging companies. You guys don't have experience with any of them. You're gonna, it's, it's impossible to do all that at once. It's simply impossible and here's why. And so I gave them as much feedback as I possibly could to get through some of the initial errors so they can get to something. Because their design was cool, I think it could work, but like you have to go through many iterations to make it work well. And um, that's hard, that's expensive. They don't have funding, so I'm like, how are you gonna make that happen? Although I have a feeling they're gonna get some grants, perhaps. And so, um, I think I'm getting into indoor farming for biopharmaceuticals and home kits to produce biopharmaceuticals at home and at the store. And um, it just means the world to me. The challenge is I can't do anything with this. If I had cash tomorrow, I could grow it instantly. If but without the ad spend, no one sees my videos, and so I'm just R&Ding in the dark. It's very frustrating. But at least I I know God has a plan. I'm I'm sure God has a plan. Looking back on everything, it all makes sense afterwards. Then it compared to complete chaos at the moment, but. If I were to assume that God has a plan, it, the plan would obviously be, hey dummy, research in the dark when no one's watching, so that when you finally get going, you have something that works. <laughs> so, so I'm r and I'm gonna share these videos, and um, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. So, that, is where Stack Farm is at. So everything is open source now. Um, I think it's a website. I'll plug it in the thing here and then I'll put up a website real quick. I've gone through so many things. I can't sell the kits myself. You have to go on Amazon and buy the parts yourself or at a local hydroponics store. It's too much. I don't want to be responsible for all that stuff. It's crazy. So I would rather you get the kits in your house and grow this food than me make a buck off it at this point. As soon as I'm able to, I will produce better equipment and parts at better prices and sell them. Like as soon as I can, but that's so capital intensive. It's not so capital intensive, it just simply requires capital. But I found better fertilizer, I found better seeds, of course the better tray, better lights, all this stuff is uh, being, I'm ready to sell it, it's just, I can't even, on one hand, I can't even share it with you because it's all wholesalers. So someone has to wholesale it. And uh, and it's and every new product I see an opportunity to sell needs a bunch of R&D. So I couldn't even tell you what it is. And you would be, if I did tell you what it was, you wouldn't be able to go and just use it immediately. There's a bunch of tinkering I gotta do to release it. So it would uh, confuse the issue. But I did find, and I put a list on Amazon, a public wish list of all the parts I'm using in my system. So I need, there's a fictional Mark III that I've designed and put the parts of that I've 
learn from my first prototype and my second prototype to conquer all the problems, which there were many. Like no more liquid fertilizer. It doesn't work. It doesn't work well. It's too finicky and complicated. And odorous. So I found a powderized one, one, uh, stop, one general purpose, all purpose fertilizer that has everything you need in really good concentrations, including micronutrients, which is what we're trying to provide our plants. And of course, we'll be developing more stuff. I mean, God, I have a whole product line up in my head of like, I can see parts. I've designed these things on paper in my brain when I'm bored. That's all I do. All I do is think about tray designs and then how the valve would fit so that you could have flood and drain, ebb and flow. Um, I would, you know, I got mediums in my head. I have seed densities and, you know, a new pump design, new tray designs, new flat designs, new light designs, new fittings, um, everything, everything. I have new timer, new power cord, like everything to make it work better in an indoor vertical setting. Because I'm using parts, you know, these trays are not meant to be stacked. They're not, they weren't built to be stacked. In fact, Botanicare, number one hydroponic tray manufacturer in the world, if not the US, at least the US, they don't have, you can't fit two 10 by 20 flats in there. 10 by 20 flats are those like black little, you know, 10 inch by 20 inch, you see at the hydroponics store or a greenhouse or Home Depot, right? And it's what the like you germinate in. It's the standard size for the entire world. This unit is like the cargo container. It's like the pallet. It is how you move plants around everywhere in the world. And these guys made their trays like an inch too small. So you can't fit two flats in there. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, so everything needs to get designed with a uh, purpose of vertical ease of use and ease of use. Vertical stacking and ease of use. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm expecting a miracle. You know, I I'm not demanding a miracle from God, but I am expecting miracles because I don't see how this could logically work out. I need someone to step up, something to click. I need something to happen here to get this off the ground because I don't see how I can do it the traditional route. Although I was literally planning on, after my meeting, I went to get beers with these guys on Saturday, I was going to go on Kickstarter and plead my case to uh, start manufacturing trays and systems, therefore. But, I mean, I need help. It's a complex logistics issue, supply chain issue. And the company I wanted to partner with out of Silicon Valley, the founder is stuck in China. 
because it's a Chinese founder using you know his Chinese connections to manufacture and ship into Silicon Valley, into California, and he can't get out of China. They can't reach him. They don't know where he is. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> what? Poor guy. So here we are. So miracles. You know, when I get down, I remember. Life is a miracle. Like it shouldn't exist. We shouldn't be here. There's no reason for us to be here. A little munch can climb at the door. Hi, honey. You're thirsty? Let's get you some water. And hungry? Let's get you some food. Alright, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Um, get your farming kit and get growing. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Vigilant.com. V-I-D-U-L-A-N-T. The B2B growth agency. We maximize growth. You have a company that sells to other companies. You have to treat them differently. You cannot market to them as if they're consumers. It will confuse the issue and your value proposition will seem like nothing. They will not see it. So reach them before they make a buying decision. Show them that you are a thought leader and get included in their proposal process. Vigilant.com, free B2B growth training at Vigilant.com. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Stack Farm, an open source home farming project. Go over to stack.farm to download the parts list and grow your own. The Wuhan virus is real, and if it's not this one, it'll be another. So bolster your family's immune system with your own biopharmaceutical production facility using Stack Farm's amazing process, stack.farm. When the going gets tough, the tough get growing.